Accessing library computer data. Level 9 authorization required. Command codes verified. Welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Moms Going Boldly is two moms who love Star Trek and who also happen to have children on the autism spectrum. We talk about the new Star Trek Discovery TV series, as well as any autism issues we see along the way. I am your host, Elizabeth, and with me is my co-host, Vicki. Hi, I'm Vicki. We are Moms Going Boldly. And welcome back to Moms Going Boldly, where today we are talking about uh, Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 2, which is called Far From Home. And, you know, before we uh, start talking about this episode, we should probably talk about last week's title, yeah? I think that was so funny. Very funny. So for people who didn't catch it, both Vicki and I got the title of last week's episode wrong. The title is actually That Hope Is You, Part 1. Right. And both Vicki and I thought it was The Hope That Is You, Part 1. And before I even texted you about it, I know we've talked about this before, Even when I proofread my blog, when I actually used to write something on it, I couldn't proofread. I know what I wrote in my mind. And so even while I'm reading it and proofreading it, I'm remembering what I wrote. So I'm not catching any of the typos. So for a day and a half, I kept going back and looking at the title because I thought it was just my mind wasn't letting me see exactly... Because that happens to me. I know exactly what you mean. Yes, I did confirm that you were not insane and that we both actually had gotten the title wrong. Now, as I said, the fact that we both got it wrong meant that really that should have been the title. Exactly, because we got it wrong exactly the same way. And the reason it made sense to me that way, the hope that is you, is because the characters we were looking at in that episode, Michael and Book and even the gentleman at um, Starfleet, whose name escapes me right now, but the one that she gave a field commission to, you know, communications chief, all three of those people represented hope. Exactly. And so it made sense to me that, you know, when that hope that is you is referring to all three of these people, um, which I suppose is arguably that, you know, the hope that is you is the same thing. But to me, it was, I don't know, that hope that is you is like a conversation where each of these people are saying that to each other. That's just kind of in my brain. But this one, I'm absolutely certain, is called (laughs) Far From Home. (laughs) Let's talk about this one a little bit. Contrary to your fear, we did not spend another episode with Michael Burnham. This episode was about Discovery. So we did not have to spend a lot of time wondering what happened to the Discovery after they entered the wormhole behind Michael. We got to see exactly what happened to them, which was good. My fear was not that we would spend another episode with Michael Burnham, that we would spend an episode with Michael and then the episode with the ship and then the next week the episode Ah. with Michael and the next week. I thought this was going to go on and on every other week. Yeah. The beginning of this episode kind of cemented that fear. And thankfully, it it ended the way it ended because I might have been out. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, thank you for clarifying. That's right. It did start off looking like it was going to be a switch and a switch and a switch. Right. Right. Absolutely. I forgot how exciting this episode was. I really, really liked it. 
So we start off this episode with the discovery coming through the wormhole and everyone's unconscious and they have to, you know, come back to consciousness after their trip through the wormhole. And they are in a lot of trouble. They are crashing. They are going through asteroids, which was really exciting. And Detmer was like the bomb, man. She totally had this. She was trying to pilot this ship non-responsive ship around these asteroids through these asteroids and then got them in a position where they could safely crash land onto an icy planet and i just love her whole thermal role so that they could get the other shields to take some of the brunt of the heat of entering an atmosphere yes (laughs) so cool really neat so they crash on the planet the ship crashes on a planet it's an icy planet so it looks like they're filming again in Iceland. So we got them landed on the ice, and they are in a, a world of hurt. The ship is hurt. The people are hurt. They lost some crew members. Yes. Some crew members died, which was, you know, upsetting. Um, Detmer was pretty badly injured. Stamets had been injured in the previous season, so he had to be brought out of his medical coma. Uh, they needed his bio bed. And then after he healed for a day, which was a very funny scene, where the doctor said to him, if you can say, what did he say? Oh, I can't. Uh, what was that line? It was a great line. It was, I'll tell you what, I'll let you go to work if you can spell. My partner brought me out of a coma and all I got was this lousy yes. t-shirt. Yes, that was it. <laughs> great line, funny scene, um, wonderful character interactions between the two of them. And of course he couldn't. So he got put into a day's worth of healing, but then apparently they brought him out of it to help fix the ship. Right. Lots of great character interaction in this episode. Um, I wonder if Reno could have mentioned her back anymore. (laughs) She was a bit of a whiner about it, wasn't she? Oh my God. Everybody around her is bleeding and groaning. And she's like, my back hurts, my back hurts, my back hurts. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so they realized that one wonderful thing is, is even though the ship, every almost everything is damaged in the ship, they were able to conclude based on the clearly artificially made settlements around them that there was life on this planet, which meant that like Michael Burnham's realization in her previous episode, the episode just before this, they had succeeded in saving all life in the universe from control. Right. Unlike last week's episode where you get to see Michael Burnham, you know, screaming in joy that she had succeeded, this realization between Saru and Tilly was very, very subtle and very controlled because they, you know, everything else was in chaos around them. And it was really, actually, I really enjoyed it. You know, they just sort of, we did it and it was moving for them, but they were like, okay, but we got to focus and move on. Because they're Um, looking at it as a ship crashed on a planet and... If a ship crashed on our planet, we wouldn't necessarily think that the people on the ship are friendly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So there's this terrific scene where Saru sits down with Tilly and uh, Giorgio and the security officer's name who escapes me right now. Non. I wrote it down this time. Non. Non. Right. Non. Okay. Like, like the delicious bread. And... Giorgio is very agitated. She is desperate to find out what happened to Michael. Right. And she is just, you know, demanding that things happen, that that some kind of actions take place. And Saru is not having any of it. And he says, we're going to go and we're going to go out to the 
settlement and we're going to see if we can get some help repairing things and see if we can get some help and make first contact and Tilly is going with me and Giorgio is very demeaning and insulting to Tilly to the point where Tilly actually <laughs> right. is like blinking and saying what are you doing and finally says what the f <laughs> right but it wasn't just Giro they were all standing around talking about her I mean even non Yes, that's true. She did. She even apologized. She apologized. But the fact yeah. is, they were talking about her like she wasn't there because Saru was answering their complaints. Yeah. And so the three of them were talking about her as if she wasn't there. Yes. Yes. And, you know, it's funny when I was watching that because this has nothing to do with the show, but it does have something to do with autism, with my son anyway. When I was watching that interaction, you know how we always have to go to the IEP meetings at yes. school and now that he's older at his workplace. And because he's an adult, he's required to attend. Yeah. Over the last few years, he gets very agitated attending. And I finally realized, because we were talking about something, and he got very upset. And I finally realized, it's like, he's sitting there listening to all these people talk about him. But no one's talking to him. Well, people are talking to him, but he doesn't, he doesn't really uh, participate all that much. Mm, people okay. do talk to him. But we are all sitting there talking about him while he's sitting there. Yes, yes. And that's what this felt like to me. I can see that. Yep, exactly. It's a, a very apt uh, analogy. My son is at the age where he is invited to attend. Yes. And I insist that he attends, but he doesn't participate either very much. They will engage him directly, and he's very reluctant. <laughs> yes, but when he was younger, it didn't seem to bother him, but now yeah. it does. So I'm on the fence about whether he should come. He really doesn't participate. Does so, he want to? Does he want to go to the meetings? Absolutely yeah. not. No way. Oh, no, good. he does not. He does no, 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 no. He does not. He gets upset. Yeah. It just finally occurred to me that he's upset because we're talking about him. Yep. And he knows we're talking about him. But anyway, that's exactly how I felt watching this. It was the three of them talking to each other. And Saru was even answering the other two as if she wasn't there. That's an excellent point. But I did like when she... Uh, yeah, exactly. I loved it. Like that. Yes, finally. Stood and up I kind it. of, I kind of wondered, and I would be, I'm really interested in your opinion of this. I kind of wondered if Giorgio did that on purpose. Oh. Because she has a very astute analysis of character. Mm-hmm. You see it over and over again, and every time you think that she's being mean, all of a sudden there's a twist, and she's recognizing some element of character. So you think she's trying to toughen her up? Or just get her to the right place to do this. Okay. You know, get her to the right level of anger and frustration where she's got the right, you know, the right chemicals flowing through her body to do this. That could be. That didn't occur to me, but now that you say that, yeah. Well, it didn't occur to me the first time I saw it. The first time I saw it, I assumed that it was about her agitation about trying to find Michael. But the second time, it was so pointed and directed at Tilly that it made me wonder. And then afterwards, as we'll talk about, you know, Giorgio actually shows up at the settlement where Saru and Tilly go. Right. I kind of wondered if maybe she did that on purpose. She got Tilly riled up to prepare her for what she's going to be, knowing that she was essentially going to show up as well. That could be, yeah. Like I said, it was so pointed and so directed at Tilly because usually she would be directing her ire at Saru because Saru wasn't letting her do what she wanted to do. True. 
So, and I also kind of wondered if maybe she and Saru planned that. There was no evidence of that in the, in the no. show that I saw, but yet he did not seem surprised to see her. Yeah, I know. I don't know if he just, just expects her to not follow any yeah. command he gives, which is almost the reason why I thought he took Tilly. I think that Saru feels uncomfortable with everybody except for Tilly. Interesting. That's how I felt. You know, he's got to put up with Giorgio being Giorgio and Nan. I mean, she's relatively new to the crew, so I don't know how comfortable he feels with her yet. Right. And I believe he's also trying to build Tilly up. Yes. But then I don't know what's happened to Tilly. Since she was Captain Killy? Yeah. It's as if she's going backwards, and I I guess remembering the rest of the season, I kind of maybe understand why they're doing this, but... I don't understand what's happened to her. She was full of confidence, and now she just seems like a a mess again. Yeah, yeah. I wonder, too. And, yeah, you can see why they probably uh, had her be that way for the character arc in this season. And I don't think they actually really explained it. it, Was it because she left all her family behind 930 years into the past? Is she reacting to that? Um, Was it losing... um, Arium was was losing Arium part of it, but they don't they didn't do a good job to make us see where this path was going. But there's there were points where she couldn't get a sentence out. Yeah, and that's such a far cry from what she developed into last season. So I was a little confused by that. Yeah, it was confusing. So let's go ahead and talk about their excursion to the encampment of the locals on this planet. It was Saru and Tilly, and Tilly's afraid, which there's a really sweet moment with Saru and Tilly where she says she's talking a lot because she's scared, and he says, keep talking. Right. And I really like that. Yeah. And I think it goes to what you just said about how there is this comfort between the two of them that you do not see them having with anybody else. Yes. And so they go to this uh, settlement and they realize that it shows all the signs of being kind of on the edge. They don't seem to have a lot of functioning ships. They don't seem to have a lot of people. They don't seem to have a lot of signs of prosperity or even comfort. They end up in what looks like a bar and they are immediately treated as suspect Mm -hmm. um, until they tell them they're Starfleet and real Starfleet, not just somebody who stole one of the ships. Right. And then all of a sudden, there's hope in at least one of the miners. Yes. And this is apparently their miners in this settlement. But they also reveal that they are being bullied by the local bully, who happens to be one of these couriers, like Book was a courier. And so they're going to help them fix their equipment in return for dilithium, enough dilithium to help them break free of the courier's bullying. But of course, they never get a chance to do that. I think the courier's name was Zara. Yeah. Is that right? That's it, yeah. yeah. So Zara shows up because apparently this ship coming out of the wormhole was very easy to identify on sensors. And so he's potentially the first of multiple people coming to inspect what happened, to find out what happened with the ship and to see what they can make off with and use to their own advantage in this very grasping, greedy world that they have discovered. And so he's actually a really nasty piece of work. He is. He kills Cal who was the miner that was helping Tilly repair their equipment and then holds them hostage, says he recognizes that they're from the future because of, you know, all the things that he's seeing, their antique ship, their antique equipment, and the wormhole with the temporal displacement or whatever it was that he used to identify. Right. And he says, you're going to go get me your dilithium and you're going to go out right now. Here's a container to bring it back in. And oh, by the way, the ice out there is parasitic. Right. And when the sun goes down, it will eat you. (laughs) 
God. I know. <laughs> so, and at the same time he's saying this, we're discovering on the ship, the ice is starting to com- compress and consume the discovery. Right. So we have two different angstful scenarios going on here. We've got Zara and his evil intentions and his rudeness and his killing people. And we've got the ice that is trying to collapse the ship while the rest of the crew is desperately trying to fix the ship. Right. They're not aware of the parasitic Right. Nature. Well, they become aware, though, yeah. because all of a sudden it starts to, you know, compress the ship. So we've got some wonderful scenes with Stamets and... Um, Reno. Reno. She's got some great lines. Yeah. Once again, he's almost on death's door. Again, And yes. she's sitting down and just giving instructions and talking about how medicated she is. Yeah. And then even after whatever happens to him in the Jeffrey's tube, and he starts bleeding again. Yes. The girl who used to be Arium, and I can't remember her name, comes and says, I heard you need help. And she refuses the help. Yeah. I don't know what that was all about. You know, I kind of got this feeling that it was about, and and, and like you're, and you're absolutely right. This was not clearly communicated by the writing. I got this feeling that this was about Stamets wasn't going to accept help no matter what. He was going to try to get in there and do it no matter what. And so she was going to stay with him and make sure he survived and be there with him. Okay. It sort of was the same thing, you know, about Reno reading Stamets as Giorgio reading Tilly. But it's all very buried and you have to make a lot of assumptions to get there yeah because i didn't get there at all first i was wondering if she was trying to build his confidence but he really didn't need that so i wasn't exactly sure what was happening so that's kind of what i thought is that she was reading him she knew that he wasn't going to accept the help but she was going to stick around anyway i mean because he was saying i don't need help she says fine i'll follow you and so she was there yeah doing what saru said saru said everybody had to work in pairs so she was following orders but she was doing it in a way that respected Stamets' unique approach to his, you know, individual teamwork. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> so. We're going to pause right here for a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, Doug Gramley here from Yeah, That Can't Be Good. Doug here from the 13th Warehouse. If you are a fan of Eureka, please join Kim, Vicky, Skip, and myself over at Yeah, That Can't Be Good for an episode-by-episode podcast of all things Eureka at EurekaRewatch.com. If you're a fan of Warehouse 13, please join Kim and Vicky over at the 13th Warehouse at the13thwarehouse.com. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us on Twitter at Eureka Warehouse. And we're back. Just as he's, they're about to send Tilly out to go after the dilithium that's available on Discovery, Giorgio shows up at the bar. Funny scene. She's so good. She is. She's she's almost overpowered as a character, but not quite. Yeah. So it's pretty funny. So he and then Zara says, "You're a one woman tactical response." And then he says, "I think he says the name of the settlement, Dreish, Dreish." Anyway, yeah. has officially reached this nadir, and she is so funny because she says, "A fancy vocabulary doesn't mean you're scary. It means you have a thesaurus." <laughs> <laughs> and so he starts shooting her. And she looks like she's dropping down and she, you know, she keeps getting hit and she looks like she's in pain and he says he's torturing her. He doesn't do the kill shot the way he did with the minor, which was necessary for us as the viewer to know that he was a bad guy. He needs to kill the nice guy there. Right. It's like the butterfly and the bug in the previous scene or in the previous episode. Excuse me. 
anyway, and so the, just when she looks like he's going to take her out, she's positioned herself where she can take him out, and she does. She takes out all the bad guys except for the one, and they send him out into the parasitic ice, where I, I assume he does not survive. Maybe he does. Does he show up again later? He does. Okay, darn it. He survives. <laughs> darn it. But let's pretend for this episode that he did not survive. Right. You knew it was a bad idea. I understand that Saru didn't want to kill yeah. him and blah, blah, blah. And, and it really wasn't up to Saru. Saru left it up to the other guy. You knew it was a bad idea when he left. Yeah. I did anyway. I was like, oh, no, that's, this is not a good idea. Yeah. So they promised the, the remaining miners that they would bring them their dilithium. And the miners give them a personal transporter. And so they're able to get back to the ship. They never showed us them actually giving the miners the dilithium, but you have to assume they do because Saru is such a, a stickler for you know doing what he says he's going to do. Right, absolutely, yeah. But we don't see that. So Stamets is the hero. The ship is being compressed. He's in a Jeffrey's tube. He's been hurt by the compression. He's bleeding. Colbert is there, you know, yelling at him for working <laughs> too hard. Reno is there complaining about her back. Yeah. <laughs> And Stamets saves the day. Yes. It's everything working again. But they still don't have enough power to get the ship lifted out of the ice. They try. Detmer is trying very hard with a ship that's not designed to do what she's trying to get it to do to get out of the ice. But she's working really hard. Um, let's talk a minute about Detmer. I have that written down as well. So when the ship crash lands, she's actually thrown over her console and onto the floor. And she's got a head injury. Right. And she's really stunned and out of it. And the way that the um, production presents this to us is that she's actually not hearing things clearly. It's all very fuzzy. But she goes to sickbay and sickbay says she's fine. She doesn't have a concussion. She's fine. And they send her back to work. But it's still very clear throughout the episode that she is not fine. Right. When I watched it, and even this time, I felt like she was kind of suffering from some PTSD from the crash at the beginning. And the funny thing is, I went and looked it up because I couldn't remember if something happened at the end of last season. And this was just a continuation of the PTSD. And I honestly don't remember how this plays out for the rest of the season. But I found there were people who thought it was PTSD. There were people who thought it was whatever that apparatus is on her head was malfunctioning, but then we didn't know why. The doctor didn't see that. But there were other people who thought part of control was somehow mingled with her apparatus. Oh, interesting. So I thought that was interesting. And honestly, I don't remember where her story goes at all. So I don't know if any of those are the answers or not. Right. But I felt it looked more like PTSD. Well, there's clearly something wrong. Yeah. And... You know, and every time we see a scene through her eyes, it's muffled. Yes. So whatever is happening, it is interfering with her concentration and her full access to all her sensory information. She's not hearing people when they're talking to her. And there was a couple of times when I just took that as she was stuck in her own head. Yeah. I don't know. And this ended up being an unresolved storyline at the end of this episode so we're going to have to wait and see what happens in the next episodes to this particular storyline with Detmer right because I honestly do not remember I do oh do you <laughs> but I'm gonna let you be surprised yeah no don't tell me <laughs> no I'm not gonna tell you so um 
So Detmer's working really, really hard to try to get the ship free of this ice, you know, with a ship that isn't designed to do that, these kinds of maneuvers with all the engines that she has available to her. And then another ship shows off. And they're really worried that it's another one of Zara's cadre that are going to, you know, take the ship and dismantle it and sell them into slavery or whatever these horrible people do. Yeah. Um, and that they're going to attack them. There's this moment where... You know, they say, we've got shields now, we've got weapons, um, we've got sensors, we're being hailed, and what are we going to do, Captain? And it's left hanging for just a moment about whether Saru is going to actually activate his weapons and shoot his way out of this because they're concerned that it's these bad guys, you know, and especially after the experience they had at the settlement. But Saru, being a good starship captain... I love this moment because he's maintaining his Starfleet protocols, his Starfleet perspective. And he says, open the channel. And they open the channel and there's Michael. And it's her ship that's pulling them out. It's her ship that's got the tractor beam on them. And it's her ship that's helping get him out of the ice. And of course, it's the most, it's a wonderful moment for multiple reasons, not the least of which now Vicky doesn't have to go between storylines. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Tilly is overjoyed. The, the joy on Tilly's face was wonderful. Right. And um, they're all excited to see her. And then she explains she's been there for a year. She's been waiting them for them for a year. And that's where the story pretty much ends. Yeah. So what did you think of this episode? Like I said, the first time I watched it, I was distracted again by the fact that I thought they were going to go back and forth. But yeah. this time, knowing that they found each other, I really liked it. I did. This planet was interesting, and I wish they explained it a little more yeah they didn't tell us anything about it did it even have a name i don't know but you know the atmospheric bubbles in certain sections and and then when they're walking tilly says something about there's part of a planet in the air and i'd like to know more about this it was an interesting place and I would have liked to know more about it, too. And I think that also is a really wonderful example of how they're bringing their Starfleet desire to explore right. um, with them. And so, and you can see, again, in the same way that the first episode brought us these little pockets of hope, what Saru did at the end by not firing on the ship and Tilly's desire to to explore and learn more, these are these little little seeds that you can see that they're going to want to try to plant. So that's cool. So yeah, I, like you, really enjoyed this episode. Like I said, at the very beginning, I even said to my husband, you know, I forgot how cool these opening scenes were as, you know, the ship is hurtling through asteroids and, you know, everyone is trying to recover from, um, you know, they're being unconscious and the damage to the ship and Detmer's doing all these fancy moves with the, with this huge starship to try to land it safely. Really, very cool. Yeah, it was. It was. It, it was very sad that Cal, the one who's been waiting for Starfleet, yes, was the one who was killed. Yes. Because the other... It was very sad. Yeah, the other, I think, I guess they're more brothers. I don't know what they were. Didn't seem to have the same reverence for Starfleet as Cal did. Although they gained that after... Jero and Saru save them. Yeah, and that very well could lead to that character, the surviving character being um, the brother, being a huge supporter because he was converted to yes. this way of thinking under these circumstances. Yes. So the next episode is called People of Earth. And this one is actually cool because um, it, it was directed by Jonathan Frakes. Oh, was it? 
yeah, so um, it'll be interesting to see if we can identify any of his unique direction. <laughs> True. People of Earth. Is that a Doctor Who title? Why does that sound I familiar? I don't know. Could be a good Doctor Who title. I, it sounds like it is. I don't know. Like <laughs> old Who? No, not too old. I don't think it's a new Who hmm. title. It doesn't, it doesn't ring any bells. I only go back to Eccleston, so... Right. That's yeah, I was old. thinking like, you know, the earlier Who. Yeah, I don't with, know. You know, Baker and... All yeah. those guys. No. Let's oh. see. Um, I'm going to see if I can find people of Earth. It actually was, isn't that interesting, an entire series. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Um, it was 2016 to 2017. Really? So journalist Ozzie Graham is skeptical when he investigates a support group for oddballs who think they have been abducted by aliens. Yet the more he learns, the more confused, intrigued, and seduced he becomes. Wow. Hmm. I've never heard of that as a series. But it comes complete with huge bubble-headed aliens with large eyes. (laughs) Just like the Roswell phrase. (laughs) The broader description of it is an ensemble comedy. Um, You can watch it on Hulu now (laughs) if you need to. That's all I got for that. Yeah. I don't know why that sounds familiar. The The yeah. series does not sound familiar. I don't know why I immediately thought it was a Doctor Who. Well, let me put in Doctor Who, just in case. No, I mean, there was an episode called Earth. That was a great episode. 11th Doctor, where they landed in um, a, at a Welsh mining facility that was trying to get really deep, and they accidentally woke up all the Silurians. Oh, okay. That, no, sorry, not Earth. The Hungry Earth. My bad. Oh. Could have been a Sarah Jane. I don't know. For some okay. reason, it sounds familiar. Or a Torchwood. Uh, true. Yes, that's right. Huh? Closest thing for the Sarah Jane Adventures is something called The Empty Planet. No. And then let's look at Torchwood. Children of Earth. Oh, okay. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. There okay. you are. That's How it. could I forget that See, one? we're not far off with Doctor Who. Oh. Well done. All right. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's definitely it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Anything else we need to talk about before we finish up this episode? I actually have one question or comment, which doesn't really have to do with Discovery, but since you remember everything about Star Trek ever, <laughs> and I do not, sometime last week, I can't remember what day it was. It was National Chess Day or something. So I posted a picture of um, Charlie and Spock uh-huh. playing yeah. playing chess. And then I shared it onto one of the Eureka group pages. And somebody named Stuart W. Now, I haven't seen these episodes in quite a while, and I don't remember specifics. And yeah. really, who am I kidding? I don't remember specifics about the episode I just watched for the second time. <laughs> so I'm not exactly sure what he's talking about. But he asked, was Charlie a Q? Oh, ex- excellent question, but no, Charlie was not a Q. Actually, he wrote, yeah. it was Charlie a Q. I know that the squire of Gothos was a Q child. Oh, uh, okay, well, that's actually a theory. There's no oh, okay. any canonical evidence that the squire of Gothos was a Q child, though it kind of makes sense just based on his skills. But I don't think so, because Charlie got his powers from the non-corporeal entities that lived on the planet where the ship crashed okay and they gave him his powers to survive but they didn't identify themselves as q and i'm not sure that q would have actually done that i don't think the continuum would have done that i don't think the continuum would have cared 
if a human child died on their planet because that just wasn't their sort of thing. I think it's a good a good question. And what really begs the question for me as far as sort of an examination of Star Trek is how many of these non-corporeal entities existed or exist with their varying different abilities and their different perspectives on how they interact with the universe. Because you see that more than once. Right. You, you see that with Charlie X. You see that, you know, the entities on the planet that gave him his powers to help him survive. You see that in the original series episode, the one we first, where we first meet Core, and we're on a planet full of people who seem like they're just medieval level, but then they are actually pure energy. Okay. As Spock says. Remember that episode? Yes. Where they essentially stop the Klingon Federation war by making everything too hot in the ships and everything. Remember that? Right, right. So those guys were non-corporeal. And also in Enterprise. Yep. I don't know the name of this episode. They bring back a virus and there's non-corporeal beings who specifically watch ships and counter We're watching them, yes, yeah. Yes. And then, of course, we had the, the um, Squire of Gothos, so there was non-corporeal entities that took corporeal form. We see it in all the episodes, so it's just really interesting. I wonder if anyone has ever done, like, a comparison study of the non-corporeal entities in the Star Trek episodes. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought it was interesting, and, of course, you know, I don't remember specifics, so... I think you could argue that they were Q. I think you could argue they were not Q, too. Yeah. I like it when people kind of, like, take what the Star Trek's offer and see what they can expand and how they interconnect. I think that's cool. Right. I thought that was interesting, yeah. So there's our Star Trek trivia for the week. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) All right, my friend. So um, unless there's anything else, I think we can wrap this one up. No, I'm good. Terrific. All right. Well, please join us next week as we sit and talk about Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 3 people of earth you can continue exploring the universe with moms going boldly by following us on facebook at facebook.com slash moms going boldly and on twitter at moms going boldly the music used on moms going boldly is without limits by ross bugden music on twitter at ross bugden licensed under a creative commons attribution license creativecommons.org You can listen to Moms Going Boldly on Podbean, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Player FM. Transfer complete.